0: Hello and welcome to Alchemical Health with me Jen Gash
1: and me Stuart Jeffrey
0: and today we'll be discussing how we can create well-being in a way that enhances the living world and look at what health and care might look like in a regenerative sustainable future and we haven't recorded for several months too have we?
1: no we've been um very lax and and my uh, deepest apologies to to our huge 20 audience million listeners <laughs>
0: um we've we've been you've been 've been releasing the episodes we had recorded i mean you've i have to sort of say thank you to that because you do all the kind of techie and keeping it going bits i just wibble and chat and oh, laugh i mean it's thanks. it's
1: been we've been we've had a few stacked up so we've managed to keep an episode going out each month mm. which is quite nice and we've we've moved provider as well which was interesting and um, we can yes. put we're on substack now which is really mm. posh I think maybe it took
0: me a while to understand what that was all about though wasn't it you kind of sent me this thing and I sort of accepted this invite and then I thought I don't really know what this means Stuart this substack. Sounds like a but, sandwich.
1: It is a bit like Isn't a it? sandwich yeah. Um <laughs> but but it basically is I mean it's a podcast platform and it gives us um the ability to put essays out um email email our subscribers have chat rooms and and things like that so it it's more rounded than the uh the, the than the um thing we had before so that's it's- quite nice
0: it is and we'll kind of over the coming few episodes we'll invite people if they want to join us um and we'll put links and what have you here and there so it's uh mm. easy for you to follow us and join in discussions with us and we're hoping to build a bit more of a community there so mm. yeah that was Stu's idea it's a great idea and thank you for that no worries now today we have a guest who we're going to, i'm going to introduce shortly but we wanted to quickly just have a little look at our forge now that seems a long time ago for us but in some ways we only recently didn't <laughs> published the episode so hopefully you will remember if you are listeners about the board discussion we had <laughs> the boring discussion though no. the discussion about my book on boredom and um, we talked a lot about that last time and one of the things we asked you to do is next time you feel this thing which we might call boredom wash over you is to sort of unpack Unpick and unpack the feelings about boredom, whether you were bored, or perhaps whether something else was going on, um, how you were feeling, what you what was making you feel bored, or whether it was a feeling of fatigue or frustration or under stimulation, overstimulation.
1: So how how did that land for you, Stu? <laughs> it was hell. It was hell <laughs> on earth. I, I on the odd occasion that I remembered that I was supposed to be thinking about boredom um when I was bored. Uh the, the feelings of being bored were um were quite painful. <laughs> oh no, I've got to do stuff. I must I must I must I've got this list. I must make a list. I'm bored because I haven't made my list and I need to go and sort my sort my life out and, and, and do a load more stuff. Um so yeah it frustration it was, then? It was frustration it was uh, yeah I need to work on this quite heavily.
0: Mm. Well, as a family, we. Do, um, I'm going to bring Alice into our conversation, actually. As a family, uh, we don't do boredom, Alice. You know, my uh, you know, mom and dad have always been busy bees and still are. And I think Stu and I, you know, we don't do boredom in as much as we don't let ourselves get bored, but we're always busy. But also, if there's any downtime, we tend to fill it. So this idea of boredom as a family is quite an interesting one. I don't know how you feel about it.
2: You know, um, I never used to be able to do boredom at all in any way, shape or form. But I work in England and live in Wales. And actually, for the last kind of 10 years, I've really, really comfortably slid into boredom. I actually really like it. That kind of very low level stimulation and i just sit and think but i don't actually find that boring anymore i really enjoy kind of mulling over different subjects and just being you know even in just sat in traffic i'm mm. just really happy with if it's too long i'd say over 2 3 hours i do get a bit of carterets um <laughs> <laughs> goes on but carteret's. carterets carterets and that might uh, i've done my laughter yoga training and stuff that might be that it might be singing very loudly it could be some outrage rage dancing it could just be words that just come out any, any where
0: they'd fancy <laughs> so i think my brother wants to know what car tourettes are what is
1: i want to know how you can be bored for two or three hours i was thinking two or three minutes so i would be climbing <laughs> the walls
2: i do know i do a lot of um time in the water as well, uh, in the sea. And I think I got used to not having my mobile phone mm. and actually I really enjoy it. I lived for a period of time without a TV, uh, not through choice, just through ineptitude of anything technical. And, and that was actually quite nice. I got quite used to, I really enjoy watching the same film, if I enjoy the film, over and over and over again, which I mm. know would drive some people slightly bored. But I quite like knowing familiar, comforting, enjoyable like, I really like Lord of the Rings, but only after I watched all of them and I knew nothing too bad happened. Uh, before that, I really didn't enjoy them and I can not allow them to leave the room. But yep. <laughs> now I know they're safe. I think they over and over again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. I mean, it, I think it's it's something we probably will come back to. I mean, I, I kind of, um, in terms of well-being, it's it's an, a fascinating idea Um that human beings have about themselves in terms of being bored or trying to prevent boredom so i kind of think we're probably going to revisit this over the coming months and years too so i think you i think you're, you're you're safe to know that it will be explored and you will be required to explore it in future episodes
1: and <laughs> great.
0: what um you you had it We, we we were doing factoids and we did sort of have a factoid uh, discussion before we started today, because some some interesting things have been going on, which I think you wanted to talk to us about,
1: Ro. Yeah, I just in terms of those factoids. So as we're recording now, I mean, well, for the last few months, the the COVID inquiry has been underway and uh, and and um what is it, mid middle, late um November um it, it suddenly got quite interesting we've had um a certain mr cummings on there and uh, um and, and so forth so um uh, it, i i just thought there was a couple of snippets that um in case anybody has missed it, <laughs> it you know the um it, like jen um <laughs> finger on the pulse jen really good
0: yeah never ever ever have my finger on the pulse no <laughs>
1: a few things such as Matt Hancock uh, and relevance to the the conversations we're having. So uh, this idea that Matt Matt Hancock wanted to decide who was going to live and who was going to die. And I think, you know, we've wanted to have a discussion about end of life, end of life care, what it means and so forth. But hearing that Hancock wanted to make those decisions. um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Uh, unqualified just to to sort of cull the
0: population by letting people die basically yeah Yeah. Um, and that being a solution to climate change yeah and boris johnson's comments
1: you know about uh well they're they're old they 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 can we don't need to worry about them let nature take its course yeah it it, it's quite quite stark and painful to hear and and then we had um just yesterday um kemi um badenock um saying that um government can't do anything about poverty um well we know their government can't do anything about poverty but government should be doing stuff about poverty Mm -hmm. and normally can um and in fact we know that obviously this government has done quite a lot about poverty it's made it far (laughs) far worse
0: (laughs) It's put it on. It's put it on the agenda yeah. for the first time in a long time. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I should have dug up the the child poverty figures, but they are horrendous and really, you know, it's really, mm. really depressing.
0: Mm. I mean, when you said about this sort of COVID inquiry, I was I was also thinking that there were things to do with the actual disease and process and things that were coming out, but it's more it's more about the political responses and the unravelings on that front yeah it's nothing kind of yeah, it was just chaos it was just chaos off, yeah but from a medical point of view it's nothing been discovered differently or or that we didn't know that's coming could, through that inquiry now
1: no but you could see i mean listening to um uh jvt as i think he's known um <laughs> and and uh who uh, jonathan van tan i don't
0: know these people Stuart. you have to explain oh you must have,
1: Well, I, I was glued to the um to the evening broadcasts for okay. months um <laughs> you know and chris oh, so know okay. you can you can yeah you can you can kind of see the thought processes being played out um and and the, and the points at which they were having were were considering different aspects of covid at the point in time that the pandemic was unfolding and and i must say i found that really fascinating because I, I was, um, well, I was still in yes. the NHS and still running stuff at the time, and 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 I and, and I was certainly having similar discussions with colleagues, yeah. um, obviously not as detailed and with as much information, but based upon what we could see in the press and, and thinking, oh, this is not going it, it, to play out well. It was such
0: an example of you know emergent stuff that you know you had to respond to on a daily basis and figure out as it went along and I think um that's something that I don't know, I, I find what I find exciting as human beings and that we are as we said you know in the kind of disaster discussion earlier we're quite good at that we're quite good at kind of getting we stuck in <laughs> get stuck in deal with the emergent stuff deal with what's up and coming um
1: but Jen we must we must move on to Alice. We, we must, because I'm guest. going to
0: introduce her and everybody. I did sort of say Alice earlier <laughs> in, in, when we were talking a minute ago. Um, and it would be quite nice to tell everyone who you are. Who is this Alice? And this Alice is the Alice
1: Hortop. Am I, I, am I allowed to say the, the, the <laughs> immortal words? Yeah, go on, Alice. Then. Alice,
0: who the fuck yeah. the... oh,
1: <laughs> is Alice?
0: This is the immortal, amazing Alice Hortop who is she's not a professional therapist I know we get a few of them on here but she is professional OT lead and co-program lead for the OT degree apprenticeship at the University of West of England I know I said that wrong because I was always going to say it wrong I did did a bit of it didn't I and when we were brainstorming who we'd like to have on this podcast you were one of the first people that came to mind because initially I, I was thinking yeah Alice can come and talk to us about um laughter and well-being because to me that's a, an obvious thing to look at in terms of sustainable healthcare regenerative healthcare but then during that time you, I also became aware of your um phd and professional interest in belonging and yeah. so just before we get stuck in introduce please introduce yourself Alice tell us a little bit about your journey today what has brought you to this moment in time anything you feel that our audience would like to know about you um well I've been qualified quite
2: a few number of years because I must have trained when I was a child So obviously I'm so youthful I'm definitely <laughs> not uh, knocking on a bit now um but I've been a passionate occupational therapist for over 20 years um and It's really been an interesting journey. Um, I was raised by an occupational therapist as well. Um, So I've got the comparing between the back then and the now. And one of the things that you said earlier, which was really interesting, was about the government saying they can't do anything about poverty, because actually that's been a massive part of my journey. Um, I'm a Thatcher child, so I am of the era that Thatcher came in. And I was born into a time very influenced by Thatcher and it influenced the profession I went into. And it's actually neoliberalism that's been the biggest influence on me researching belonging. Because back in the day, Thatcher very much felt that she could change the whole population. And what she actually said was she wanted to change the hearts and the minds of the British public. And the way she was going to do that was through economics and we have been becoming more and more disconnected as a society ever since. Mm-hmm. And I'm hugely, hugely interested um, in
1: trying. Didn't she say she said something like um, "there's no such thing as society"? Yeah. Didn't she?
2: She said, "There's man, woman, and neighbour. No such thing as society." Wow! And it's <clears throat> it's been fracturing us for years. And even as an occupational therapist, people who maybe don't know what an occupational therapist is. I was brought up, I was raised to believe that occupational therapists work alongside people to do and to be able to be independent in the occupations. So the activities that give your life value, so it might be getting washed and dressed, it could be taking the kids to school, it could be going to work, it could be doing an amazing piece of artwork, whatever it was. But the compelling thrust that came through was that this was to be done independently.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And I was very much raised on on those values and that's only kind of in the last decade of pulling apart because um, I experienced involuntary childlessness and I got very depressed when I couldn't have children I tried naturally I tried to IVF I tried to adoption and in the end I became so depressed that at one point I looked up Dignitas the euthanasia clinic in um, I think uh, Switzerland or Sweden or something like that isn't it and I just wanted to know that if I couldn't bear to live the life I was living, that there was an out. Mm-hmm. So, and and I, it was really wrangling with this experience that took me on this amazing journey that I'm actually really hugely grateful for now. So, mm-hmm. you know, nobody send a safeguarding team. I'm up. <laughs> <fine>. You're all right. <laughs> Yeah, it's so like nobody has said anything dodgy or no, no funds for dignity ass, you know, no vouchers with the post, thank you. Um cards <laughs> at Christmas, can be for boots or other, you know, such places are available. A hot, a hot water bottle will be okay, yes. though. Yeah. That's all fine. I don't need dignity ass vouchers anymore. Um, but it was really interesting. And the issue was that not only was I on the outside of society because the one thing I thought would create belonging was having a family, mm. having children, and all my friends around me were having children, and they all disappeared mm. with their friends who had children.
0: Mm.
2: I was suddenly very lonely and able to ask for help because I'd been taught that needing help was shameful mm. yep, so I'd really internalized this kind of ableistic view, and then I suddenly kind of realized that, oh my goodness, if I'm walking up to a client and i'm I'm basically saying that the most important thing is that you need to be independent, independent yeah. And then I'm saying, no. Oh, they won't have a care package. They won't have this piece of equipment. Yep. When they have a fall on the floor, they don't do the alarm bell. I thinking, well, no wonder. And when I looked at the antonyms for independence, words came up like, I mean, horrible words like dependent and um, uh, reliant and um, those sorts of But really horrible words like parasite. Wow. I thought, oh, my goodness, we're actually creating a society of people who think it's normal to think they're gonna be independent. Yeah. And, and and there's no way. None of us are independent in any way, shape, or I'm not independent. Mm-hmm. And the more I lean into the fact that I need people, yeah, the happier and happier and happier I've become. And then I, I've met this amazing group of um people swimming in the sea over the last kind of four or five years. And it's it's transformed my life. I've never been happier. Yep. Um and, and it's it's extraordinary. It, it kind of I, I feel like you know you get a bit kind of evangelical. Go on the sea, have friends, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it, I mean, it has been transformative. Yeah, I mean
0: I've seen I've followed your your journey, your sea swimming journey on Facebook. I've seen um from those first tentative swims, you know, for, yeah, four or five years ago, and something you could do through COVID as well, you know. Yeah. And um and i've seen you go from your you know the sort of going in for a few minutes to to kind of wrapping yourself up hugely when you get out through to going in for half an hour 45 minutes all through the winter um and the relationships as well i've seen obviously you know i don't know the people you go with but i've seen how much it's um added to your well-being and my, yeah I mean actually Stew, Stewie had the second question which was kind of about this really Stew wasn't it? What, what?
1: Was it? It doesn't look anything like that. Are you sure? <laughs> I was just going to say I mean I, I say that well laughter therapy I think we're going to go on to in a second but um yeah I mean the the, the idea of that wild swimming is, is is rather wonderful um sadly where I am in Kent we we might be surrounded by sea but it doesn't feel it doesn't taste doesn't taste like the sea you have in in the southwest, shall I say? <laughs> <laughs> and, and and the river at the bottom of my road, yeah, we really don't want to swim in that.
2: Well, I don't <laughs> it, know on it, desperate days, <laughs> I'll go anywhere.
1: <laughs> it, it's full of sewage. Yeah. Oh, maybe not then. No. Yeah.
2: No, Although I, you just don't yeah. drink at that point. Just don't slurp. Don't swallow. No. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Because
0: it kind of um, we we had a discussion a little bit about this um, before, Stu, didn't we? About <laughs> you know even the resources that would be health and well-being giving like local rivers and seas and so that people could you know swim in them etc that there's a you know those are being those opportunities for well-being are being polluted and or you know we're creating barriers to them you know in Mm -hmm. the self but um yeah sorry Stu back to your question for Alice So,
1: I mean yeah I mean that's quite a deep and um a a a a deep sort of dive that you've taken into your life at the opening credits i'm not sure how to follow <laughs> that um you can like you one
0: thing you learn about her is it's uh, if you laugh it's so, all right
1: yeah yeah well, and that's it it's the laughter therapy i wanted to w- wanted you to talk a little bit more about because because you're an expert in it i gather so it was my first tell love. me what <laughs> what 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 does it mean to laugh i mean i I never laugh and i'm I'm not even vaguely funny but so tell me about it why is it good for us
2: you know it's it's again it's it's related back to the childhood and back to um being the peacemaker and I realized very early on that humor is a weapon for peace and if it's used correctly and used well, and then obviously working as an occupational therapist um uh, my first experiences was was working with people who'd had um, amputations and you would have to go along and you'd have to put a very small stump sock onto the wound so that it controlled the size of it so that people were more able to have a prosthetic limb fitted. And me and the occupational therapist trying to put on a very, very tight, tiny sock onto a fresh amputated limb really wasn't that funny. Um, and what I soon discovered was that if I came along with distracting music, um, a lot of banter, a lot of kind of jokes and everything else, people hated me less um, and they kind of coped with the pain a bit more. And it just started me looking into research around humour, which is it, it releases pain endorphins, it increases, you only have to think you're going to laugh. You don't even have to laugh, just go think. The mere anticipation of laughter reduces cortisol production, increases serotonin production, so it reduces all your anxiety um, hormones, it increases your happy hormones. Um, The smile literally says, I'm not a threat. And what's really interesting as well is they've got research that shows that people who have a trauma background are less able to distinguish between a neutral face and an angry face. So they're more alert to threat. So this idea of wearing a smile is hugely important in society. And um, My partner, my and take the mic when we go shopping because I'll look across and they'll just be giggling to themselves. And I'm like, what? What? What now? And it's they're like, you're smiling at the products again. And I'll just be walking around this kind of smile on my face, which I've trained myself to wear for years. And it'd be, hello, cereal, hello, sausage. <laughs> <laughs> or your Samuel, you know, just walking around with a smile on my face. And and the more I looked into humour, the more I realised it's a huge coping strategy. Mm. And um, there's really interesting, there's a fantastic book, if anyone's um, interested in books, called Man's Search of Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's really quite well known now. And he says that one one of the the final things that you have choice over, you can choose how you feel in the moment, and even if it's for a few moments, you know, humour is a is a huge um, enabler for coping. Um, you can live with any um how as long as you have the why so having a good why for living in your life and that's what I was missing I didn't have what I thought would make me happy children um but actually I'm very happy because I had the right why which is friends family purpose research um and I, I think that's really really important I built a humor workshop whereby I worked with people who had depression and anxiety. And um, we looked at strategies to get more humor in their life. So we analyzed when they laughed, when they didn't laugh, what sort of humor types they were, how they honed their own comedy craft, how you create fun, uh, where you get fun, where they got fun in the past. Um, and it won an award, and it got presented at the um that I always get this wrong. I always say the National Institute for Clinical Effectiveness, but it's not. It's National Institute for Clinical Excellence, isn't it? Yeah. Got presented there. Um because nice. really good results <laughs> yeah nice literally um we got really good results and people went from feeling very anxious to actually feeling far less anxious for having hope for wanting to go go and meet people again and mm. yeah it's really incredible it turned people's lives around mm. and and i think we it's interesting how as a society we've been taught not to appreciate the most important things yeah and again it goes back to neoliberalism thatcher wanted us to by happiness, because if you're in debt and you've got uh, materialistic things which you're taught are gonna make you happy and they don't make you happy, you're confused. Mm. So if they, if you're taught that actually humor creates really great bonds, it creates really great um, times, then actually you're searching for humor, you're not searching for materialism, which is never gonna make anyone happy. It's relationships that make people happy. You know, there's this interesting thought experiment that um, Darren Brown recommends where you um, imagine you've woken up in the morning and something has happened and you don't know what it is, but everyone else in the world is gone and you have access to everything you need. You can go into a jewellery shop and, you know, uh, spray yourself in diamonds. You can drive Porsches. You can go around the world. But actually, how long... Were you bothered to put makeup on for? How long were you bothered to wear those designer clothes? How long would you bother to put diamonds on your ears? You wouldn't, because ultimately, it's all about other people. Mm. And trying to make it not about other people is ridiculous. Yeah. And that that's really sad. And it goes back to your earlier value. you. Uh, sorry, what you were saying earlier about not valuing older people, because actually that's part of the capitalist society as well, where certain people have value and certain people don't. And actually, when you start looking at the world with different eyes, for example, endogenous populations from America and Canada, um, they believe all people are born with divinity and purpose. All gifts are equal. Mm. And when you stop putting gifts that people have against each other, you actually see the world in a completely different way Mm. so I don't see my clients as having support from me I see my clients or my students in this case Mm. as giving me purpose I get as much from them as I as I give to them and if you stop seeing people in care homes as without gifts and the recipients of care you would start doing initiatives such as there was a lovely one where they gave people ipads and the older people were matched with refugees Mm. and they taught each other english
0: oh wow that's a lovely idea
2: it's ridiculous this idea that you get to a certain age and you lose your value Mm. it's absolutely nonsense Mm -hmm. we've just built a society which is more convenient for us to do that
0: yep and I think the thing is, is that the more I get through this peculiar thing we call life is that the the free things, the natural things um, mm-hmm. are the most powerful. And <clears throat> that, yeah, again, that doesn't suit capitalism. It doesn't suit the neoliberalist agenda, does it? And, Not you know, at all. <laughs> I can, you know, I was brought up similar with what Stu and I both were. Um, and it was you know you you, alongside the sort of independence thing it was you know yes you are an island yes you know you need your own house you need to we'll sell off the council houses etc and you know just that one thing alone of social housing becoming a a victim of has caused so many other problems and in terms of well-being and um massive impacts i mean i um sue did you want to, have to kind of like a see you pondering away it looks like you've got
1: something a comment i've got about 15 questions
2: <laughs>
1: maybe 30 I'll go for it love
2: you used the word fuck earlier so i feel like i can say it yeah one of my yeah. students calls it um she calls my sessions brain fuckery <laughs> <laughs> she goes, got brain fuckery we've we got today alice <laughs> I I, I,
1: I, yeah so gosh, I mean we've done um we we haven't really done much on meaning yet and i and i, I really want to get into meaning and, and and you you kind of threw in that um piece from the uh, uh from the first nations people in, in, in America around uh, um all in, all people have divinity and purpose mm. uh, and and I immediately thought oh we're we're right back in Jungian we've actually moved into Hillman version of Jungian at this point, haven't we, Um, which was really interesting. Um, And it'd be great to see a little bit more, hear a little bit more about that. But before you do, (laughs) I mean, I love the idea that you're walking around saying hello to things. and, And I really want to do a session at some point on gratitude, but also link it with this concept of animism um which is that everything has life force and mm. everything is a person mm. and you know saying hello to the um frozen to, to, to the uh, um uh, the, the sausage roll the the, the the toilet roll in the supermarket it just makes my heart sing <laughs> does it
2: you know i think that comes from a very specific reason as well though um uh kimera um she talks about um, species loneliness and we're so detached from the idea of uh, I mean they call it the Anthropocene era don't they where it's, it's the human era you know we go and buy bacon packaged up in a packet we go and buy our vegetables all neatly in a row stacked all looking the mm-hmm. same all glowing with the sheening chemicals mm-hmm. you know we 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 drive to work we go on trains to work the part of the sea bit for me is i feel the seasons change yeah i feel the tides i know the moons i know the rhythms of 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 life i get I had my bum smacked the other day by i think it was a shark <laughs> other people think it's a, a fish but it was a it was a hefty old slap i mean it it was it was a fair old whack i think it could have been a shark you know anyway you know going in the sea feeling <laughs> i feel i the sea presents itself different every day mm. i've stopped thinking of myself as belonging in terms of to humans i i have fur babies um, i have three dogs and i got a vicious cat who was trying to kill the bird population and um, but my partner cut down the tree in front of our house cut down that the the the, the i just got branches of it and I'm so upset because yeah. I've got a special relationship with that tree and it gives me cherries mm. and I look after it when it's dry and it gives me cherries as thank you but mm. I don't see this kind of barrier and divide and part of the reason why we're we're animating and making things Or it's funny that we call it making them human, you know, because actually what we're we're really doing, we're we're going around and trying to find all the life that we used to be so connected to that made us feel earthlings. We are earthlings. You know, there's a wonderful word in Welsh called hiraith, and it's a longing for places that have been and passed. And, you know... I feel it's intergenerational. I belong intergenerationally. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I belong to the planet. I feel like I belong to Barry Island. Um, I feel like I belong to my accent. I feel like I belong to far more than just humans mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And the more I think about it and the more I connect and, and the more I look at the stars and the more I I do that, the more I'm grateful for mm-hmm. My 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 place in the world, but also I want to protect it for everyone. Yeah. And it's really interesting, not being able to have children. I still want to protect the planet because I feel so connected to everything. Yeah. Because I'm deeply really grateful. And I think that's part of what it's difficult for people to get on board with sustainability, is because they're so disconnected. Yes. And
0: yeah.
2: you need to feel connected to invest really important.
0: That's a really beautiful way of putting that all and um, you know, I kind of feel that there's some words from Alice Hortop which will be ringing around our discussions around sustainability. Um because, you know, one of the things that I know Stuart, you do a lot of canvassing and uh, politically for, for, for green activism, etc. And, you know, you know, it's so much of the frustration is is why don't people um, understand the and commit to the agenda and understand it and value it etc and and the disconnect is is such a massive part of it
1: um the disconnect is everything yeah um, and yeah. you, you uh, alice you mentioned um robin Wool Kimmerer. we'll put I love show them. notes in uh, yeah i just jaw-dropping book mm. uh, yeah um, stunning raiding sweet grass if you can't wait to read the show notes go and Changed
0: my life. Absolutely, oh, changed my what life. But What's the title, Stu? The
1: called Braiding Sweetgrass. I'll bring it down next week when I see you.
0: <laughs> Braiding Sweetgrass. Okay, there's another
1: uh, one. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so there's Ty- Tyson um, Yunker Porter uh, is the other. Uh, I, I, uh, the, the the interesting thing, and uh, with both of them is is the similarities between the two, mm-hmm. and the non linear linearity of the way they think Mm. is i i read um tyson's book first and struggled with it i'm going to go back and read it having now read um book um because it's the the non-linearity of the way they describe things i for 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 a western person Mm. from a weird country um it's difficult to get your head around it but it it, is fascinating Mm. um and you mentioned a bit about the um the the relationships um non-human relationships well you know the fact that i i i i they they use a phrase all our relatives don't they um which is um is great and you know they're 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 people they're just not human people
0: yeah i mean i've i've started to consider you know have the word kin rather than you know anything else and my animals as kin but also yeah uh, other things i mean i've got a special tree in the garden that i consider kin as well and you know i have to keep my husband away from it um
1: i i had, I, I was supposed to chop down a bay tree in my front garden because it was causing my neighbor's problems mm. and when i got halfway i i halved it mm. and then i burst into tears and said i'm not taking it any further yeah <laughs> no. i let it grow back as a bush yeah i mean there yeah. was
0: a, there was this beautiful um equatorial magnolia that was sort of used to grow at the end of our road here and I know it was some um, some people moved in and it was because when it sheds its leaves they're quite chunky and make a quite a mess on the lawn and all this stuff <laughs> and I kind of looked at the then they were sweeping it up and um, they'd only been in there a few weeks and I thought you're going to take that tree down and it happened really quickly I didn't In some ways, thankful I didn't see it, but I would have been. I mean, I was so upset. The next, every time I went past it, I had to start walking a different way to school. Um, So unnecessary that this ridiculous human being decided they wanted a, a, you know, a tidy front lawn because they didn't like the leaves.
1: And I think it's one of the most. I had a, I I had a posh new car a few years ago, and I parked it for years (laughs) under the tree, and all the bits fell into the heating system, blocked up. All of the um, the the holes that let the water run through. Your car got flooded, <laughs> then, didn't it? Uh, torrential rain, of course. The water then filled up the heating system and then filled up the inside of the car. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I I think that the the the, the, the moral is don't park under a tree.
0: And the tree got its own back. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> In retrospect, and it's, can I just ask something? Because I I I don't. I mean, you know this that your journey journey to the importance of belonging and your studies. Um, I mean, I can hear it coming out, you know, of when you talk about your own personal journey and also looking at other cultures, et cetera. And I'm wondering what you, if we were to build a new healthcare system, whatever we want to call it, how can we place that at the center of things? What can we do?
2: I call it belonging center practice, and basically, it's it's it it has to be what you think it should be. It should be it. It's supposed to be inspirational. I think we're we're in a society now where we're not quite sure what the future is going to look like. We've got um, a Victorian NHS social care system, it was built in the Victorian age, and also it wasn't complete, so we have to keep in mind that the first stage was um, health, and they were delighted with it, and people went in and they got the treatment they needed for the sicknesses. The second part then, of course, social care, people got the care package they needed and they contributed small amounts that were, you know, kind of costed against their ability to pay. The third part that never came into part was how do we integrate this within society and how do we enable society to engage with it, to deliver it? So that idea of big society that Cameron said um, a couple of years ago, well, probably longer than that now, that was actually the final stage of the, um, the health and social care design that he was trying to put back in. But unfortunately, because of the way it was actually promoted, And because everyone is in such busy lives, because everyone's so disconnected and everyone's so disengaged now, people aren't going to go, oh, I'll go and help my local hospital. I'll go and sweep floors. I'll go and do, you know, it's kind of become disconnected. And actually, what we have is a huge amount of systems for keeping people out. So, what we do is we split them up, we keep them out, we try to restrict who goes where and we spend ridiculous amounts of our time doing it and actually we need to start building services which suit the staff which suit the clients that suit the families that are embedded in communities that aren't just big hospitals where people go to get lost in systems get paper you know cuts from the amount of bureaucracy that there is um we really need to be going back to delivering systems and it needs to start in small ways. And then it needs to get bigger. You know, it needs to start with staff realizing, and this is going to be a difficult one, I think in in some ways, that actually they are getting a lot from this work. And I know there's a lot of pressures and things, but actually when you start seeing it as a gift, actually it feels very differently Um, because we're, we're, we're so trained and I think people ought to get paid well for what they do. It's not that. I just think we have to be careful to the mindset of that that creates. That we need to start going into care, realising that actually it gives us a gift back. And I think at the moment we can get very lost in the broken systems and what they are. Um, and, and there's just little ways that we can start to change the way things are. Like when I we went to the disaster planning training, it was my personal disaster plan. Who lives in a vacuum? Mm. Um, it, it's like in dementia care, they have this is me booklet. Yep. Well, actually, not about the wife or the husband or the child. The, this is us. And actually, what about the staff who are having a bad day because actually they've seen somebody deteriorate? Um, You know, all all these kinds of separate. Yeah, it just needs we need to start thinking more sensibly. For example, I've just taken on these two new roles. And when you start taking ego out, you can start planning. Um, And one of the things we did is we um, we made my role a co program role. Now, if I had to be more about ego, I wouldn't have done that because I'd have been so pleased to have more, more kudos. Empire
0: building. yeah, Empire
2: building, then mm. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. But actually what I've got instead is this amazing co-programme lead who we work in partnership with, who we don't have ego involved. We're much happier. We've actually got life balance we've got the ability to focus on the things that are important things like we have a celebration ball now uh we've opened at the research conference where we show staff research student research we involve partnerships so that when people come in they find about things going on the local area Mm. um you've looked at um, initiatives to support practice. So for example, we know that 20 to 30% of occupational therapists, and even in the first two to three years, we started a graduate support program. Um, I've shared the fact that I'm neurodivergent so that people um, can see role models of people who have achieved it despite neurodiversity. We've got neurodiversity support group that we do in our own time. When you stop thinking about it being about money or about kudos or about... And you start thinking about it being about relationships, mm. it, it changes. The, the, the intrinsic motivation changes. Mm. Mm. Um, so I think we need to start thinking about every person has value. Every relationship is important. Where's the belonging? Um, where is the sustainability? And And when I'm thinking about when I practice now... And I think about sustainability, not just in terms of environmental, but also intergenerationally. Mm. Where are we respecting intergenerational wisdom? Where are we passing on wisdom? No, absolutely. Uh, it, this had, it comes to a cornerstone of respect. Mm. Where is the respect for everyone?
0: Yep, yep. And, 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 I, and I, think, of, I think, I think if you have a natural sort of, um, if you break down those natural ways we separate things out, you you, and know, you, you you can all automatically start seeing that um, valuing and you know uh, respect and valuing of each other and I even the sep- separateness of um, when I think about services I I've just come out of a bit of a, a contract um, and one of the ways we you know we try and manage waiting lists and you know problems in services is to make up our, our, our um, boundaries and our referral criteria even tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and you know you kind of end up with it like this I'll only take this referral because then I can manage and of course it's all about then excluding all this other stuff yeah. all these other people and excluding any any level of complexity and of course when you talk about human beings that's all we are really we're just in, yeah. you know, a glorious massive complexity and I I think if you actually what I wanted to say to the services were actually, let's just actually lump everything in together. Let's stop yeah. this separateness. Let's just chuck it all in together because that way we can, we can understand. Yeah. You, you, can work as a total a total, a totality of a, of a system with all of its weirdnesses and wonderfulness and actually stop separating people off because it's also again when Stu and i've talked about this it, from a, a, a sort of a sustainability point of view you waste so much money in the managing of that separateness yes. it's just it's madness
2: all, it's those people that are actually the resources that could help each other yes hillary cotton yeah. talks about this in her book radical um radical help you know actually if we stopped separating everyone off and we actually had people who were weller you know, in terms of their diagnosis, then actually we could. And and who say you know somebody with diabetes can't help somebody with uh, COPD? Sorry, kind of pulmonary disease. Who's to say those people can't help each other? Yeah. And also, it's it's a joke that some people are weller than each other. Twenty five percent of the population are on psychiatric medication. Twenty five percent. So we're so busy telling each other that it's something that we're doing wrong when actually it must be bigger, it must be yeah. societal, because why would a quarter of our population? There was a really interesting article I read recently called, it's going to sound really funny, um, metaphors, of, what was, uh, uh, metaphors of Agony in Hyper-Independent Societies. Wow. <laughs>
0: <It was laughs> we need to look that one too. up, Stu. <laughs> I love that.
2: And it was all about how basically the more independent a society, the more swathes of people have to be suppressed in order for that to work, um, for, for capitalist societies to work. And also when mass people are separated, you have winners and losers in the system. That's when people start showing their mass agony in different ways. And they were saying, you know, actually, if you look at, our uh, societies which don't have huge hyper independent levels, um, they don't have mass students, they don't have themselves, they don't have you know all these different things. Um so actually it's it's partly what we've created. Mm. We separated everyone, we disconnected everyone. And um, as a result of this, we we have this these societal problems.
1: Mm. Mm. I think I think I think it's really I mean, I, I just sort of reflecting on what you were saying there in terms of the uh, the individual, the community, um, and 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 I think, well, you mentioned Cameron and his big society. I think that that was kind of code word for we're going to cut cut lots of stuff, and you're going to have to do it yourself. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm less confident in in the Cameronian approach to this. But but, but you the talked original
2: about, idea was stolen. But,
1: yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, and I think I think that idea of community is one that we we probably need to explore more and more. But but as you were talking about the individual and the community, I then sort of overlaid what we were talking about earlier, which is kind of the the world bit, and uh, and, and brought myself back to um, uh, Felix Guattari's, um three ecologies. And the idea of eco Um, and you, you kind of got these layers that um, that build, and 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 all the time you're just focused on the individual, you're missing two thirds of, yeah, of, of the world, uh, and no wonder there's a problem.
2: Yeah, because yeah. well, well, I, you know, you you don't often stand by somebody in distress and ignore it, and and that also there's a fabulous book, um, *Humankind* by, um, uh, Rudolf
0: Bregmer, you know, um, yeah.
2: And he talks about how essentially humans are very good. Um, It's something like it's only 10% of um, the army who can actually kill anyone. Mm. Um, He actually goes in statistics of shooting over heads and doing all sorts Mm. rather than actually kill anyone. Um, But a lot of the time we're we're told that people are bad, but actually what we're we're seeing is people are acting out of distress in actually these hyper-independent societies. But actually if you go to... Um, societies where where we haven't been told we're awful, we haven't been told we're bad. You know, uh, a veneer theory that this idea that you scratch the surface of people and, and they all behave with atrocity. But actually, you know, you only have to look at the Blitz, wartime spirit, camaraderie, lest people take their own lives in a time of war. Mm. Actually, when people are put under huge amount of pressure, they're very kind to each other because the way we survive, what we instinctively know is that we need each other to to survive, yeah. and what we've been taught for the last few decades is now you don't. What you want to do is compete with each other, and whoever gets the biggest, shiniest car is the winner. Mm. And then mm. that's why millionaires. You know, if you look at the if you look at the happiness levels of people who've had a who've had um, a spinal injury and people who've won a million pounds, within a year later they have got the same happiness levels.
0: that's an amazing statistic to consider isn't it that's just so much in there to contemplate um wow
2: that goes to dopamine as well yeah because i mean we're not designed to be these hedonistic pleasure-seeking people we're taught to be Mm -hmm. because actually you have homeostasis within your brain yeah you can't have huge amounts of dopamine Um, in your brain just flooding around for false reason all the time and that's part of the beauty of going in the sea when it's really brass monkeys Mm -hmm. is that actually you push on the dopamine release Mm -hmm. but from a different side you get the pain but the pain certainly soon tips into pleasure you know we're designed to work hard you get dopamine from working hard as well and we've been taught that actually the easier the life the more entertained we are but but what happens is the brain then tips down on the other side and says, "That's not real. That's not happy," and it brings mm-hmm. you back down. And part of that is, you know, people need to really kind of think about the connections, they have, think about the life they want to leave mm-hmm. and, and live. And it's not about having the pleasurable life; it's about having a good life.
0: I think. I think if if you know, I'm just I'm very conscious that you're giving us so many bloody gems, and we could talk for hours. And I'm I'm conscious that we need to probably um make sure we we finish soon but um I think the fascinating thing that that's going through my mind (laughs) because it's going through my mind Jen it must be fascinating no um we ask people to think about stuff rather than feel about stuff and yeah I'm a very cognitive-based society, and I, I was just thinking that, you know, if we say to people, think about what you want or think about what makes you happy, actually people don't go to those those states where you've just been talking about what the, what the body and the mind and the soul really want. They go to, yeah, the kind of what they've been told they need and want and should have. But also there's something about teaching people that, some of those statistics you just mentioned and saying, actually did you know that if you pursue a life like this you'll be more unhappy than if you pursue a life like that there's something about actually presenting people with the cognitive you know presenting the cognitive brain with some stats if you like because we're you know we've got to that stage where we only seem to value science then let's and facts and blah 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 and research let's make it work for us let's use that to go okay then if You want facts, if you want science, if you want logic, here we are. Doing this will make you more unhappy, doing this will make you more unhealthy. I, I don't know, do you know what I mean? It's just, I just think we we, yeah. we need to sort of play to some of this ridiculousness that's been going on.
2: Um, we need to go back to feelings and a and balance of feelings. Yeah. Um, we, we as occupational therapists, we often go on function, and actually, now I've started to say, Well, how do I want to feel in the day? I want to feel that I've. I've earned my evening. Mm. I want to feel moments in my life where I feel awe. Yeah. I want to feel moments in my life where I feel deeply touched in my soul. You know, mm. and, and I think we've stopped doing that. Yeah. I think people want to feel not anxious these days because everyone's anxious and competing people want to stop competing but they can't they don't know how to
0: but it's 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 what is the opposite of anxious it's that's the thing it's like okay I, I don't want to be anxious yeah well no tell me how you want to be and I think giving mm-hmm. that a, a, a knowing and a label I mean I we um that sort of all that re-enchantment is something we've started to sort of talk about a bit Stu isn't it and um it's on our list yeah, of-
1: I'm, I'm- and i want to race you um to uh to to (laughs) (laughs) non-competitiveness that's so funny
2: i've already got that i won alice has
0: won stu we are this pointless we have a pointless race (laughs) my love we really probably do need to finish up um stu is there any burning things that you want to
1: uh, it's been fascinating, fabulous. and 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 it'd be great, Alice, if you've got some time in the future, we can get you back actually go a, a, a bit deeper on some of these issues because um uh, it's been a, it's been a tremendous um well nearly an hour so far. Um <laughs> I feel like
2: I haven't sold what belonging center practices much, but um
1: <laughs> Yeah, we'll come back to that. Yeah, I mean, we've got some come and read an article some,
2: I write.
1: <laughs> got some great ideas for some some future episodes, and I've just been making loads of notes. Um, so yeah, huge thank you. No, absolutely. Um, I, I
0: told you she'd be good, didn't I, bro? I said yeah, we need Alice. <laughs> yeah. Like, Who the yeah, <laughs> um,
1: and, and, and I think we've got our forge for this week. Okay, go for it, bro. This week, this year, this month. When I don't know when we're going to do the next episode, but between now and the next one, um, I think we we need to be walking around with a smile and saying hello to some 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 people that aren't human.
2: Yes. Well, also, if you Excellent. do, you know, want to be a bit capitalist, I find walking around with a smile on my face and grinning at everyone gets me a lot of discounts. <laughs> so, you know, if you are a bit materialist, it Go you'd still that. be to a winner.
0: I think actually I'm more about, I think I would, I mean, I kind of walk around with a ridiculous grin on my face a lot of the time anyway um but I'm actually really looking forward to sort of smiling at some frozen peas and um you know a tin of dog food and things I think that's what I'm kind of looking forward to is having a chat with some some vegetables and things excellent I, forge I, ideas I, I, was,
1: I was down at down in Stonehenge a couple of weeks ago and i did say hello to the stones shall
0: we oh nice one
1: well thank you once again and um we'll put show notes in etc um and um i'll dig out links for those books and so forth loads um, of resources you've given
0: us there yeah so much to contemplate alice and i just feel so i filled up with joy speaking to you so much we we, so much we can explore stewie on other podcasts and please thank you so much for coming alice
2: Thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Uh, we love Sounds you, Liz. It's
0: new work, is not it? <laughs> much love. Take care. Bye.
1: And uh, listeners, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, show notes are available on the website. And if you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe using your favourite podcast app and tell your friends, families. And colleagues, all about it too. And tell, and tell the toilet roll in the, in, in the, um, uh, supermarket too. If you want to get in touch, um, please drop us an email at alchemicalhealth, or one word at outlook.com. or visit our Substack, alchemicalhealth.substack. Sub we'd love to hear from you. Uh, see you next time.